I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. One reason that CAR-T therapies haven't been more effective at treating solid tumors is their reliance on targeting antigens on the surface of cells, which can often be present on healthy cells as well. Affinity Therapeutics is addressing this weakness in current cell therapies by using its platform technology to develop T-cell receptor-engineered T-cells. Its so-called TCR T-cells are able to recognize intracellular targets and attack the drivers of mutations that are inaccessible to CAR-T therapies. We spoke to Jack Knowles, CEO of Affinity Therapeutics, about the company's TCR T-cell therapies, how they're engineered, and why they have the potential to be effective at treating solid tumors that have evaded the power of CAR-T therapies. Jack, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny, for having me. We're going to talk about TCR Therapies Affinity and its platform for next-generation cell therapies. Before we get into the technology, though, I'd like to start with the founder of the company. It seems there were a lot of relationships where the pieces came together nicely here. Can you just explain how it came about? Yeah, happy to. It's a really uh, cool story. So my background, I'm an MD by training, but I've been working for about the past uh, four or five years with different venture groups, one of which was Bayer. They just formed a new venture fund called Leaps. And so I was managing the Leaps portfolio um, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and was lucky enough to be introduced to a number of different academic institutions, but one of them was the Fred Hutch. And so I had actually looked at starting a different company with the Fred Hutch about a year prior to launching Affinity, and I kept in good contact with them, uh, and they actually made the introduction to uh, to Dr. Phil Greenberg. Most people know Phil from his work uh, in immunology. He's one of the founders of the immuno-oncology space, but also through his work with a company called Juno Therapeutics. So Juno was working on one of the first CD19 CAR-T programs, very successfully uh, was able to, to develop a drug called Brasiani for that target. Uh, and also the company was acquired uh, by Celgene, I think for around $9 billion. Uh, so Phil is really well known. I had never met him before, but was lucky enough to uh, earn his trust. And during the pandemic, right in the beginning, uh, we launched the company, actually. I, I'd never met Phil. Uh, so it took about nine months before I got to meet him face to face, but really just formed a great relationship with him over Zoom and was able to uh, inspire him to recruit a few of his colleagues from the Hush, uh, Ode Chapuis and, and, and Tom Schmidt, uh, to join the effort as well. Uh, in the early days, uh, it was actually me that was funding it. Bayer would not. They let me start the company, but they wouldn't fund the company until I left. Uh, and so our seed investors were myself uh, and then some of our SAB members, uh, Jim Allison and Pam Sharma, uh, who know Phil for, for many, many years and are big believers in immuno-oncology as well. Uh, so they were some of our first investors and also joined our scientific advisory board. And then finally, our, our lead investor, 
Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Bayer Leaps did come in as a, as a lead, but our co-lead was, was Vita Ventures. And so I've known uh, Arjun Goyle and Stefan uh, Viktorovic there for close to a dozen years. Uh, and of course, uh, the other co-founder of Vita is Ari Beldegren, who was the CEO of Kite Therapeutics. So many of your listeners remember Kite and Juno were the two companies kind of in this, uh, this race to see who would be first for a CD19 CAR-T therapy. So very lucky to have incorporated all these different elements. We've got, you know, Vita representing Kite, Phil representing Juno, um, and then more recently have hired uh, two great individuals. One, uh, Dirk Nagerson, our chief medical officer, who was at Amgen working on KRAS drugs, the first KRAS drug, Lumacraz, and Dan Fega, who serves on our board as an independent director. Uh, he is currently CEO of Anapsis, but previously COO of Marathi. Uh, the other small molecule KRAS company in this space. So a lot of great people and uh, lucky enough to bring them all together uh, to work together on Affinity. CAR-T therapies have been effective in treating liquid tumors, but solid tumors have been much more difficult to treat. Why are solid tumors harder to treat with CAR-Ts? What's the challenge? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's you know puzzled a lot of people you know, when Kite and Juno were acquired, I think the idea was that they were going to go on and solve, you know, lots of different, uh, uh, you know, cancer indications, not just uh, hematological malignancies. The issue is really uh, several factors. You know, the one uh, that we always talk about here at Affinity is that targets really do matter. And for, you know, the heme uh, CAR-T programs going after CD19 and BCMA, you know, those are great targets because they're on 100% of uh, B cell tumors. They're also on 100% of healthy B cells. But, you know, the reality is patients can live without their B cells. Um, you can eradicate the entire B cell population of an individual and, you know, make them prone to certain types of infections, but they actually can lead a normal, healthy life and, and go on uh, really to enjoy, uh, you know, their life till the end. Uh, that's not true for other targets. So for most solid tumors, there is no magic target that's only expressed on the solid tumor. Most of those targets are also expressed on healthy tissue. And so when you try to go and attack those tumors with a CAR-T, you're also going to hit a lot of healthy tissue. And the result is, unfortunately, a lot of toxicity uh, for some of the targets uh, for, for solid tumor uh, CAR-T therapy. Uh, TCRs are, are a little bit different. Uh, a CAR is essentially a, an antibody, an FCFE region from an antibody conjugated to a, a co-stimulatory signal that activates the T cell to kill. So if the CAR T sees that, that signal, it's going to kill the cell that it's uh, engaged with. TCRs work a little bit differently. It's kind of working with uh, the way nature designed or I guess evolved <laughs> an immune system. Uh, the TCR is recognizing intracellular targets. So these are mutations for cancer, or you may recall for uh, uh, COVID-19, everyone was talking about T-cell immunity. But what did that mean? It, it meant you had a population of T-cells that could recognize uh, COVID-19 protein being expressed on the cell surface. Your immune system is really good at recognizing foreign antigens. And so COVID-19, or in this case, mutant KRAS, are both proteins that don't exist on healthy tissues. And so T cells, uh, if they have the right TCR, are very capable and very good 
at being able to eradicate those cells. So what we're doing here with TCR therapy is giving our cells an opportunity to recognize those internal mutations. And there so far isn't a great way to do that with, with CAR T. The antibody part of the therapy is being used here, I suspect, as a targeting mechanism, but does it have any therapeutic benefit beyond that? Um, that's right. So instead of using an antibody, we're using a, a TCR, T-cell receptor. So it's a little bit different than an antibody. It's a lot more sensitive. So uh, you can detect very, very low amounts of uh, mutant KRAS in this instance. Um, by itself, a, a TCR is just a binder. So it's, it's targeting the mutant protein, but it's also targeting something called class one or MHC class one. This is uh, the cellular machinery that presents foreign or even self antigens on the cell surface, allowing your immune system to recognize like a self from non-self. Um, so for a TCR directed against mutant KRAS, by itself, it would just bind that mutation. It wouldn't actually do anything. But if it is part of a T cell, then it's on the surface of a very potent uh, killer uh, for, uh, for your immune system. And so it's really that combination of having a TCR on the T cell surface that makes uh, our product work. Uh, you could use TCRs in another way. Some companies are creating what are called bispecifics. So you have the TCR engager part, and then you have a, a CD3 arm that can also uh, bind to T cells. And so instead of having to infuse a cell therapy, you can just infuse the bispecific, uh, and that can both target the cancer cell and recruit a healthy T cell to then complete uh, the tumor cell killing. Affinity has developed a three-part platform technology. Walk us through each of those parts, starting with how you go about choosing a target. Yeah, no. So our three platforms are Taylor, Tune, and Thrive. Uh, the Taylor platform incorporates machine learning, some algorithms, predictive algorithms, uh, and artificial intelligence. And what we're doing here is really identifying the right epitope initially. And so we're going after what are called shared or public neoantigens. So these are the same, you know, nine or 10 amino acid sequences that are presented across the entire population. So uh, very important to go after these shared neoantigens because you can address the most patients possible. Um, we use the machine learning to then also predict what the best TCR will look like. We are sourcing our TCRs from either healthy donors or from patients. So these TCRs all have been in at least one person before, uh, which is an important safety uh, feature for us. Uh, but more importantly, uh, you can find very high affinity naturally occurring TCRs but you have to look very, very carefully. Uh, when we sourced our first TCR for a G12V, we had to go through 15 to 20 uh, donors. Each healthy donor has about 200 million uh, TCRs in their peripheral blood. So really it's three to four billion TCRs we're sorting through to identify one that is optimal for therapeutic development. Uh, the second platform we have is, uh, and I should actually add in the Taylor platform, you know, Affinity, is really just the beginning, right? We're looking for something that, you know, recognizes the mutation and can bind very well. But the big thing we want the therapy to do is obviously kill cancer. And so, you know, we, we screen on affinity. We obviously make sure that the TCRs are safe. So we do a very comprehensive safety screen uh, using X-Scan, uh, which is the gold standard. Also allogeneic screens to make sure it's not cross-reactive across other uh, wild type proteins. Uh, but the final step is really avidity, making sure the TCR T cells actually kill. And so our 
Taylor platform is really optimized, one, to pick high affinity TCRs, but really to pick the ones that actually kill cancer the best. The second platform we have is called Tune. Uh, Tune is a synthetic biology platform. And so here we're optimizing the cells, not just to survive, but to really uh, overcome the tumor microenvironment. And the first technology we're using converts a fast, fast ligand uh, death signal. This is the dominant way that T cells are deleted in the tumor microenvironment and converts that into a 4-1-BB coast input signal. So going back to the CAR-T example, all CAR-T uses both a antibody as a binder, but then a co-stem. So many of them either use fast, either use 4-1-BB or CD28 as the co-stem. Uh, we're, I think, one of the first TCR companies to take that learning and apply it to TCR T-cells. Uh, so we're incorporating this co-stem signal delivered by a fast 4-1-BB switch receptor. Uh, we have several other synthetic biology components, but I'll, uh, I'll pause uh, there and happy to answer any questions you have about uh, the Tune platform. Well, l- let me ask you about the synthetic biology aspect of this. What are you actually engineering cells to do? How much functionality can you put in there? Yeah, so this is what's been, I think, a great uh, you know, explosion in the cell therapy space recently. Uh, people are using different kinds of logic gates. I worked with a few of these when I was at Bayer. Uh, they're using different synthetic biology to reprogram cells. What our uh, co-founder, Phil Greenberg, uh, uh, hit upon is that, you know, it's it's hard to change something in a cell without having a downstream consequence. And that's because, you know, biology is in this delicate balance. And so if you knock out a gene or if you get a gene to constitutively express, there's frequently a trade-off. The cell doesn't become as effective at doing what it's supposed to do, which in this case is kill cancer cells. Uh, what Phil aligned on was, you know, a very elegant approach of instead of, you know, trying to force the cell to do something it's not comfortable with, you know, kind of using a, a judo-like approach of turning the tumor's biology against it. So the tumor is expressing fast ligand, which you know normally would, uh, you know, couple to the fast ligand, uh, so the fast receptor on T cells and push the T cells towards apoptosis. So instead of that inhibitory death signal, we're now converting you know, the fast, fast ligand uh, signal that the tumor is trying to give to the T cell to kill it to a 4-1-BB costem. So that should only happen in the tumor microenvironment. We're not expecting the cells to get this signal anywhere besides the TME. And because now instead of a death signal, it's getting a proliferation signal, uh, instead of the tumor deleting the T cells, it's actually going to, you know, encourage the T cells to proliferate and expand, making more of themselves. So it's a very elegant way of saying we, we don't have to constitutively express, you know, a 4-1-BB co-stem. It's only going to be active where we want it, which is in the tumor microenvironment. Um, so I, I kind of like this uh, this switch receptor approach because it, it doesn't require the cell to do anything that's going to be different um, than what it would normally do. It's just giving it an opportunity, one, to not be uh, deleted by fast, fast ligand, but two, to get a co-stem uh, right where you want it in, in the tumor bed. Affinity's two lead programs target KRAS mutations. This is AFNT-111 and AFNT-211. What are the initial indications you're pursuing? Yeah, so uh, KRAS is the most dominant oncogene driver mutation. So it's, it's very important for tumor biology. It allows the cells to proliferate and expand. Uh, and it's kind of like a cheat code for, for cancer cells. Uh, without it, uh, they don't function as well. And in fact, um, you know, others have talked about this. The cells appear to be almost addicted to this mutation. 
So once they acquire the KRAS mutation, they can't lose it and they kind of need it to survive. Um, what's great about our Affinity 111 and 211 programs is that they're both targeting the same mutation, KRAS G12V. The difference is Affinity 111 is unarmored. Affinity 211 has that fast 4-1-BB synthetic switch uh, we just talked about. Both of those programs are targeting the same patient populations. And really here, we're just trying to, to go after the most unmet medical need and help the most patients possible. Uh, so the, the types of tumors that have most frequently KRAS mutations are you know, pancreatic, colorectal, and lung cancer. So our phase one study is gonna be a basket trial that seeks to recruit patients from all three of those tumor types. We're also gonna have a fourth arm that you know, is kind of a take all comer uh, opportunity. Uh, there are some other tumor types, you know, endometrial cancer comes to mind where KRAS is also pretty common, uh, but really we wanna focus on the big three. Um, there's a huge unmet medical need in pancreatic and colorectal cancer. Almost no drugs have been approved for those indications over the past 50 years. And most patients are still getting you know, chemo and radiation as first line therapy. If they fail that, they're offered palliative chemo and radiation. So you know, really toxic therapies that, that most patients don't tolerate well. Uh, and there's been really no innovation uh, for these patients for the past 50 or 60 years. And in terms of patient selection for the trials, are you using any kind of a companion diagnostic? Yeah, so we do, of course, have to screen for the KRAS mutation. So um, there are lots of different mutations possible in KRAS. We're going after ones on the G12 codon, um, and specifically a point mutation. So we're focused on G12V, which stands for valine, which is a, an amino acid, and G12D, uh, which stands for aspartic acid. And so those are the two most common KRAS uh, mutations. They represent about uh, 60 to 70% of all uh, mutant KRAS isoforms. Uh, and so that's really the, the rationale for focusing on those initially. We're, we're trying to, uh, to help the most people possible. What's known about either of these experimental therapies from the preclinical studies? Uh, so what we know uh, is that, you know, one, in our hands, our TCRs work very, very well. Uh, we've presented data at AACR just recently in collaboration with uh, Chris Klebanoff from Memorial Sloan Kettering. Uh, he's our newest co-founder. He just joined uh, for our G12D program. Uh, that's the Affinity 212 program. Uh, for Affinity 111 and 211, we've presented at uh, SITSI last year at ASGCT um, and really phenomenal data. Uh, a single infusion of Affinity 111 or 211 is sufficient to, to provide great tumor control, long-term tumor control across many tumor types. We've tested this in vivo uh, models for pancreatic, for colorectal, for breast cancer. Uh, and it, it seems to work across all tumor populations. We've tested it in vivo. Um, I will add there's also some clinical precedent here, uh, so not anyone affiliated with our company, uh, but a, another uh, very prominent researcher, Eric Tran, who used to work with Steve Rosenberg at NCI, uh, he was able to isolate a KRAS-positive T-cell uh, in a patient with pancreatic cancer. He then took that TCR, engineered it into a new cell therapy for a second patient, and that therapy provided great tumor control, I think shrinking the patient's lung metastasis by 72%. So we have great preclinical data for our programs, but there is already clinical precedent and proof of concept out here that a, a KRAS TCR can work for, for solid tumors in patients. What's the development path forward? So right now we're really focused on getting our programs into the clinic. 
Uh, Affinity 111 uh, is targeted for IND submission in August of this year. Uh, that's a study that will be open and enrolling at the Fred Hutch Cancer Institute in Seattle, Washington. And Affinity 211, uh, that's the company-sponsored program. So that IND is slated for uh, October of this year. Here, we're going to have a multi-centric study from day one. So we're going to open enrollment at 10 tier one cancer institutions in the United States. Uh, so we'll have representative uh, geographies on the East Coast, the West Coast, Middle, Amer uh, Middle America, and obviously in the South. And the goal here is to recruit 10 to 15 patients into each study. Uh, so hopefully recruiting uh, somewhere between 30 and 40 patients over the next uh, two years. Given the broad potential for the approach, how do you go about prioritizing targets and indications? Really, it's about following the science. So we, we look for uh, targets where our TCRs appear to work really, really well and across all cell lines. You know, frequently you'll see people make something work once or twice and then they, uh, they move forward with it. We, we've been very selective. We only want to work with cell therapies that work in all tumors tested. Uh, and so far, we've been very lucky to achieve that with both, you know, KRAS, G12V, and G12D. Uh, in terms of the indications, we're really trying to help the most people possible. So we're prioritizing those populations uh, where there is a huge unmet medical need in areas like pancreatic and colorectal. Uh, and then in lung cancer, just looking at patient numbers. You know, where can we help the most people? That's where we want to uh, focus our attention. Affinity is focused on cancer, but... Beyond cancer, what's the potential for this technology, and would you explore other potential applications? Yeah, it's a great question, Danny. So uh, I didn't share my background with you. I'm, I'm actually an MD uh, by training and spent time uh, early in my career thinking I would be a head and neck uh, surgical oncologist. And so uh, oncology is, is near and dear to my heart, you know, one, because it's affected so many people uh, in my life and in my family, but, but two... Uh, because it's where I was trained uh, initially as a, as a physician. Uh, I believe very strongly that it's important to focus. And in this environment, I think, you know, the companies that are being rewarded are the ones that are really focused on getting products into the clinic and really doing something meaningful for patient lives. Um, there are potential use cases for this type of TCR technology uh, outside of uh, the oncology space. I think we just saw today uh, T-Scan and Amgen announced a collaboration uh, looking at TCRs for autoimmune disease. I, I think that's great, and I applaud uh, anyone who can, uh, you know, <laughs> can focus on, on, on oncology and non-oncology. My, my strong belief is, you know, patients really want these therapies now. And for a lot of patients that have pancreatic and colorectal cancer, they don't have options and they don't have a lot of time. So we're, we're really focused on making sure we get these programs into the clinic and can help cancer patients quickly. I'll leave it to others to solve uh, how this technology could be used outside of oncology. You talked a little about how the company came together and the connections between you and your team and, and your lead investors. It's a difficult financing environment. I, I'm wondering, financing here was a bit different because of these relationships, but what is the discussion like today with other investors and, and having sat on both sides of the table, you know, how do you look at the current financing environment? Yeah, financing is a, is a challenge. Uh, what I will say is 
in my experience, the good companies uh, are always able to raise money. Uh, we're very lucky to have great, you know, lead investors in Vita Ventures and Leaps by Bayer, but really strong investors across, uh, you know, all of our, our Series A uh, and B syndicate, uh, Catalio Capital, you know, Pisces, Sean Parker's uh, foundation, uh, Agent Capital, Alexandria, you know, Inno Pinnacle, to name a few. Um, you know, these are groups that are really committed to the long-term vision of, of getting drugs approved. Uh, so we've been very fortunate to have such a strong syndicate. And uh, so far, uh, they've been very supportive, obviously, uh, financially, but also, uh, you know, cheering us on to to get uh, our programs into the clinic. Um, in terms of the financing environment, I, I think it's tough. I think, you know, early stage companies, uh, Series A companies uh, seem to still be getting uh, financing. I think all the venture funds raised a lot of capital, so they have to deploy it uh, in order to, uh, you know, to uh, continue uh, collecting management fees. Um, and then I think, you know, the clinical stage companies, we just saw Acceleron flip public earlier this week, you know, they raised $621 million as a phase three company. So I think, you know, the companies that have, you know, real clinical data, strong programs, they're not having a problem uh, raising money. And the early stage companies, because venture needs to put their money to work, are also not having uh, that much difficulty where there is a lot of difficulty is that valley of death, right? Series B to crossover. Uh, we're lucky enough to have our Series B syndicate already baked in from our initial financing, um, but I've seen a lot of companies struggle uh, raising money for their their Series B. I expect we'll see a lot of companies uh, start to falter uh, if they're unable to, to bring in new investors. Uh, crossover investors, likewise, are still very focused on the public markets. Uh, they're still seeing a lot of value in publicly traded stocks. Things are really priced low, so it's very, you know, attractive. Uh, and then, you know, public markets have the benefit where they can get liquid very quickly. You know, they're not locked up in a private company for months or years. They can buy the stock one day and, and sell it the next. Uh, and so I think the crossover investors are still mostly focused on public markets right now. Um, but I expect with, you know, the success of the Accelerant IPO, they traded up over 30%. Uh, this week, I think we'll start to see hopefully a, a little bit more of an opportunity for companies to go public. And uh, usually that starts to attract the crossovers uh, as long as they're they're making money. Given the current financing environment, do you find you're thinking any differently about your development path and how you're prioritizing the the projects that are in the pipeline? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, I think everyone, you know, should always strive to be capital efficient. And that just goes back to my venture capital training. Uh, I would always say it doesn't matter the market. You should always be thoughtful about how you're spending your money. Um, I think we will focus, obviously, on uh, clinical development going forward. We have, you know, now three great programs, you know, Affinity 111 and 211 targeting KRAS G12V and Affinity 212 targeting KRAS G12D. Uh, we plan to have a third target, fourth IND for P53 at the end of next year. And I think once we have those three programs in the clinic, you know, that's really what, where I want to focus uh, our capital. Um, you know, most of the value that's going to be created is in therapeutic development. So preclinical R&D is important. It's certainly key to what we're doing here at Affinity. Um, but I'd like to see most of our proceeds being focused on getting clinical data. I think that's really the lifeblood of any biotech company. Jack Knowles, CEO of Affinity Therapeutics. Jack, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. 
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send an email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.